my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSI Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least to not piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you would like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you are subscribed to NIMSY Insights. We have a YouTube channel where all of these episodes get archived. We have 98 episodes of NIMSY Live, as well as a bunch of other fun stuff. We have free workshops available on our YouTube channel and all of that stuff. But most of y'all are coming to us on LinkedIn today. And if you are coming to us LinkedIn, I'll bring up your, your comments in chat here and we'll be going over those. Jimena, LinkedIn user, Deborah, welcome to the show. You guys are part of the audience and part of the conversation. So any questions, comments, please drop those in chat and we'll make sure to bring those up. If you do follow NIMSY Insights on LinkedIn, then you will be one of the first people to know when we publish new research or when we schedule new episodes of NIMSY Live like this. And you can go over to our LinkedIn page, go to the events tab and check out all of the upcoming things that we have um, for online events. Well, today we'll jump right into it. Today we are um, talking about remote work. So most of us are working remotely more so now than ever before. This has profoundly impacted who your colleagues are, where they're from, where they're based, and how and when you can work together. Localization professionals have been pioneering this way of work since well before it became a trend, but are we more impacted by it than others, and what can we do about it? In this episode, we are going to be talking to Julia Tarditi, Head of Global Experience at Qualtrics, and a veteran global worker to discover how businesses adapt and how we can manage the benefits and challenges presented by this quote-unquote new normal in the workplace. And Julia, welcome to the show. Um, I am going to be pulling, I forgot to mention, I'll be pulling, you have a recent article in Multilingual yeah. Magazine um, in the, the June issue, if you let, want to follow along at home, the one with Sasan. On the cover here, uh, tell us a little bit about your article and what what's it about? Why did you write it? Um, I think you know besides the new normal and now the way uh, we work has changed and remote and hybrid has become the norm. Um, in localization, we have uh, been precursors of 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 this reality. Really, we've been geo distributed and working across the globe um, since the beginning of our industry. Um, and so I kept reading, you know, like maybe in my feed, lots of articles will pop up written by people um, that I, you know, could or couldn't relate to, but nothing specifically had been written about the industry that I felt really pictured the way I feel about it and okay. the struggles, right? The wins and the struggles that we have. Um, and so it was a perfect occasion to work uh, with the multilingual team on a piece uh, for the gene issue that were very kind to um, let me write it. And uh, I, 
I express there what I think are the current uh, frontiers of remote and, and geo-distributed, of global work uh, for an industry. And what's true now may well not be true uh, a few months under line. Everything's right. changing Every, the AI. So quickly, so quickly. So quickly. <laughs> but it is relevant yeah. now. Um, and I, I feel That's like we, and I mentioned this in the intro and you mentioned it in your article, we've always been geographically distributed as, as an industry. And so it's nothing yeah. that's like new necessarily to us, but when the dark times hit several years ago, the whole world, every industry had to go remote and for us, it wasn't that big of a deal, I noticed, because we're so used to it. But I, I, I want to, before we get into it too much, I want to look at some, some research that we collaborated on, um, Qualtrics and Nimsy worked on together back in the day. And in this, we looked at kind of two different components, the, and this is just a snippet from a much larger thing, but we looked at um, remote work in localization teams, and we also looked at global dispersion, and we drew a difference between that. So remote work, lots of companies are remote. It doesn't mean that they're globally dispersed. Globally dispersed means you have team members in mm -hmm. all time zones, in multiple different markets, and multiple languages, and multiple cultures, but remote work is just remote work, not coming, not having to come to an office. And so we asked uh, different localization department leaders out there how important it is to have remote work. And overwhelmingly, as you can see from the graph here, um, the overwhelming response was it's incredibly important to have remote work. And believe it or not, there's, there's still <coughs> companies out there that don't have remote work or they're bringing people back into the office and it's affecting our industry. And likewise, when it comes to global dispersion, particularly for a localization department, client-side localization directors really see the value in having the teams from multiple different countries, not just in one geography, and whether they're working remotely or working in local field offices. So I just wanted to preface the conversation with that before I ask you, what has been your experience? Because you've been on a journey with, with Qualtrics through this. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit of the background you've had with Qualtrics of, um, advocating, I want to say, for remote yeah. work and globally dispersed teams. Yes, thank you. Um, so I, I specialized uh, as a people manager in our industry, client side, managing remote teams. Uh, so not necessarily uh, globally distributed. But that is because most of my experiences were with startups and scale-ups in EMEA. And so they didn't, yeah, we benefited loads from having remote work and it was a thing, right? It was just the way we worked. But because we were in a single time zone or maybe two or three tops, but very close to each other, there was no a need to have someone in a different time zone supporting the needs of our internal customers, right? Like the, maybe the marketing teams or the sales uh, team from you know, being located in time zones that would make it very, very hard for someone based in EMEA to help in a timely manner. So when I started at Qualtrics, both of these assumptions were, I know, so, so Qualtrics um, was initially my role, right? Was in Dublin, was meant yeah. to be in Dublin. 
And that was only because my manager had really advocated for the role to be based in Man, not in the States, because the headquarters were traditionally um, in Utah. And, you know, the global roles were all there. So people on my level in global roles would all be there. So then she put for Dublin, which which is where our headquarters were based. Mm -hmm. And then um, the recruitment team bumped into me and I wasn't based in Dublin and I wouldn't want to move. And I try to reassure them that that wouldn't make any difference. They were hiring people to be based in Dublin. Uh But back then there was COVID and lockdowns everywhere. And so these people were... Um, you know, coming to Dublin to work, but they were working from their houses, which was not incredibly effective. But it, anyway, it wouldn't have made much of a difference yeah. where I was, Dublin, London, having the same time zone. Then when I started Quattro, very different reality to what I've, I'd seen elsewhere. My stakeholders were everywhere. Mm. Offices around the globe, different time zones. I would have 6 a.m. calls with APJ and 10 p.m. calls with Seattle. And I thought that, you know, I alone would not scale. Um, And hiring 10 me's in EMEA would not be very different. We would all have a miserable life. Right. So why not having people across different time zones, given that we are remote anyways, with an overlap of hours, both with our stakeholders and with each other, sort of sort of core team hours. And what, what would that look like? So we looked at creating a governance for how that would work. We also didn't want to push it and start operating as such until well, and that's we why in... You noticed when I asked the question, I said, you've been advocating for it. I didn't say yeah. you've been fighting for it because you didn't go to battle. Right. You didn't, you know, I would have, I I know you would have, Oh, I know you would have, (laughs) but you didn't have to, because I'm really, I really respect the approach that you took, which has been, I think you've been on the show before talking about it. Um, or we've had you in an event before talking about it, how you've really educated. I hate using that word, but you've really done a good job building bridges with other senior managers within the organization. And because of that localization, you know, they, they listen when you guys talk. Yeah, because we started off as listeners, right? We yeah. would say, okay, let us learn. Let us know how you work, how we can support you. We will decide together, but let us know how you work. Let us take a pick. And and so we looked at where stakeholders were based. We looked at very data-driven approach, looked at how much time we were spending on Zoom versus interacting with people in our same location. So future after lockdown would have been an office and then we engaged with NIMSI um, and uh, uh, you guys were very good at uh, listening to what I needed at the time I was like we need we need a research that is based on because I don't want to push something that's not good for the business right I've always seen my role as in like I'm really committed to the business that I join and so I wanted to do the right thing for the business so well, i was like i want to know what others are doing yeah but a challenge is of course you can know because most folks don't understand localization and the complexities therein right and you as a seasoned veteran can know what's best for the company but how do you present that to them in a way that's not just i know you should listen to me like where's the yeah. data i knew that it wouldn't fly i had just come in well, i was a new Qualtrics, leader it's a data-driven company right? or it, yeah it should be very data-driven right and uh very much interested in benchmarking you know what are the others doing 
are we doing what's best practice right uh, watching people, not just from SaaS, but other industries, how are they acting on this? Because there's localization functions within all sorts of organizations in digital. And so I said, okay, right, let me engage with NIMSI and let's create a research to understand what other teams are doing. Is it working? Is it not? Is it conducive to good employee engagement? right, long-term retention of the right staff? Because localization folks, like, it's not easy to come by that sort of talent. So how do we make these people productive, uh, effective and happy so that they stick with us and we can nurture this talent and experience management, which is what Qualtrics does, is a very, very specific industry, very much growing, uh, needing a lot of enablement for new joiners to understand what is it that Qualtrics does and how can localization serve this cause. Um, and so it was very eye-opening for me to, to see what my peers were doing across the globe, but also very good for Qualtrics management to say, okay, it's not just Julia making this up because she's getting out of bed. This is what people are doing. This is what the best players are doing. And this is the positive effects it's having on the staff turnover, on their performance, right? How big are teams? and how many languages do they support? Mm -hmm. The ones that are geo-distributed and the ones that are remote and the ones that are not, right? And so you can draw conclusions and facts, it's very hard to argue with facts and data. And that really worked and pushed the case to our team um, to be given the go ahead to work this way because that, that was how we're going to be most productive. Yeah, and you mentioned facts and data, so I can't help but pull up some more some more research here. Let me get that chat out of the way. Um, just, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but for the sake of our podcast readers, or if you're just listening instead of watching, uh, some of the benefits of having a globally dispersed team here. We looked at f follow the sun model and time zone support. We looked at increasing team diversity, 24-7 project management coverage, reducing costs, proximity to local audiences, clients, end users, proximity to local supply chain, decreasing silos, increasing in-house languages spoken, compliance reasons, increased equality and equity between team members, better backup support for all team members, opportunities for team members to travel and rank these on how they're um, how they're looked at by LSPs and as well as buyers of language services because there's you know different nuances between each of those and I don't want to get too heavily into the data because I want to go back to and talk about your article that you wrote because you make some really good points in there but just to bring up the point that there are a lot of reasons why it makes sense to have a globally dispersed team, right? And if you need those, if you're listening and you need those reasons, I can, I'll send you this deck that we have. Um, we can certainly share some of that information with you. And it's not just one thing I want to say, right? It's not a walk in the park, right? There is a specific governance instruction MO that you need Thank to put you. in place. Yes. If you wanna nail this, it's very different from manage, at least from a people manager perspective, it's very different. Yeah. Uh, from managing like a in-person team. And I've, I've done both. Um, and I, I can really say that, you know, initially I failed because I applied the same MI that I had in office to uh, a, a hybrid or remote uh, setup um, a couple of roles ago and it, it didn't work. And so you kind of get to understand 
uh, how you got to do it. And it's different for the manager and it's different uh, for, for the team members, both from a, the way you report, the way you engage with others, the way you give recognition, the way um, you manage your time so as to be productive and available at the same time yep. and have a decent work-life balance, which is not a given when right. remote and dispersed work is, is, is the case. Yeah, and thank you so much for bringing that up because it would be a tragedy, I think, if people walked away from listening to this podcast thinking, oh, I'm going to switch to a global or remote team and just keep doing what I'm doing. No. Like, yes, there are benefits. We just looked at some of the benefits, but it's hard from, I mean, it takes work from a people management perspective. And one thing I say all the time is culture comes from the top. Right. It is if you are a manager of a team, it is your responsibility to define and maintain the culture of that team and cultural management of a team is one of the hardest things when you when you go remote because you're not eating lunch together every day. You're not dropping by. You can still communicate. You can send an email anytime to anyone, but there seems to be a psychological barrier there. People won't send an email. Mm. Whereas if you're all in one place, you know, the organic conversations from dropping by someone's office or overhearing someone's conversation, be like, oh, I have something to add to that, right? You're missing out on that. Not to say that it's not replaceable, but you need to take active steps in order to make sure that you're filling that void, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, the toughest thing is culture. And it's yeah. what needs to be not just priority one, but the first thing you tackle, right? It's like setting the table. You're not going to have your dinner if that has not taken place. And it's, um, I think one of the top things, but that is, it's not just for remote teams. I think for localization in general, I'm talking client side here and uh, I, I haven't sure. had experience uh, on the agency side, so I, you know, it may be different, but there's the expectation because that you hit the ground running. There's always so much to do and the teams tend to be very lean, right? Because they're in a support function, there's way more engineers, way more product managers, and very few of you managing hundreds of languages. Mm -hmm. So the team is so lean and so busy that it's a function in which companies don't invest a lot of enough time nurturing one's understanding of the business, right? One's understanding of the org structure. How does that specific company make decisions? How do they plan? How do they create their strategy? How does one at any level, flatter organizations, more hierarchical, how can they raise their voice and say, you know, and be heard? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is a prerequisite. If you do not nurture this specific layer, then the localization team's culture is always going to be a level down yeah. from what it what it could what it could be, and and from the impact that it can bring yeah. to the organization. Well, and that's of course exacerbated when when you're talking about being remote and globally dispersed. Right, and, and well, you, you fall into the trap of being looked at as a service provider. Yes. You're a service provider. You're not a trusted part, you know, you're not a source yeah. of value so much as you're, you're a checkbox at the end of the production cycle. You're, you're, you're a vendor that happens to have your paycheck signed by the same person as the other Correct. teams. Right. And you, um, 
you know, going back to, you know, all the work that you've done, like we did a maturity assessment, a localization maturity assessment with you. Um, we've done two now and they were 18 months apart. And I use Qualtrics as a success story case study all the time when I'm talking to clients because you kicked butt in 18 months. Like it, it takes, it takes a lot of time to move that cultural rock up the hill and to change perceptions internally and Qualtrics. And for those of you that want to learn more about it, I don't want to go too deep into it today. We have some case studies on our site, reach out to me, reach out to Julia and we're happy to talk about it, but you did a lot of work, and it, but you mentioned it, it started with listening. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of, cause we talked, I, I talked to you personally, localization directors all the time that want to change the perception of the localization department. They want to elevate their status within the organization and they all want to start screaming from the rooftops and making people listen and educating. That's why I don't like using that term educating. Nobody wants to be educated. No one wants to be spoken no. down to. Um, and it goes back to the, you know, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care kind of thing. So you have to do these listening sessions and understand what do, what does my C-suite want? Um, yeah. what, what is important to my shareholders of the company? What's important to my internal stakeholders? And, and that's where it start, starts. But I don't want to, I don't want to, that's a whole different podcast. We, we can, we can talk about that. I feel we have talked about that on another podcast, but I want to get back into your, your article and multilingual, um, refocusing on remote work. And for the, those of you following along at home, it starts on page 62 of the June issue, as I mentioned before, and you bring up three things for embracing the new normal. Uh, or four, four, four points, which you elaborate more fully on. You say, our teams are melting pots, so diversity is a big part of it. Inclusion starts with hiring. We need to learn to work asynchronously. And localizing salaries is a whole different mm -hmm. ball mm -hmm. of, or kettle of fish, as, as some would say in Dublin, I think. <laughs> um, but let's take a look at this first one. Our, our teams are melting pots. To quote from your article, Employees will be dealing with diverse cultures, languages, and work styles. These differences can have an impact on communication, teamwork, and an overall organizational dynamics. Companies need to be mindful of how cultural sensitivities may come into play. And I think this is great yeah. advice, not just for localization teams, but for any global organization. Yeah, and there's no point like hiring for a company like ours. Like there's no point in hiring remote and globally dispersed team but made up of i don't know six breeds right like it's not that's not that's not diversity that's not gonna bring different points of views right different angles from which you can look at the world right. and understand where your markets you know whether for us it's a SaaS company you know our field teams and our customers who buy us to then understand their customers for someone else it may be there you know, B2C that they're immediate users. How can you understand that spectrum, especially if you want to go global, if you don't have a global localization team? They're going to be not narrow, yeah, narrow minded as an organism, yep. right? They're not going to have it. So it's enriching to have people. And it's that also poses some challenges because mm -hmm. people, 
there's a there's a book that a colleague of mine, Krista, um, who's the, been a, a fantastic uh, EA to many executives worldwide. She she gave me the book. I really recommend it. It's called The Culture Map. Yeah. And it's about how I know exactly what book you're talking culture. about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just wish someone had given me the book such a long time ago because it was all things that I picked up along the way. Like I would have, I would try and give feedback to someone who's German the way I was given feedback by my UK manager and it would absolutely not work, right? Yeah. Or, or have a German manager giving feedback to someone uh, that's from an Irish background. That's definitely not gonna work. So be mindful of how those sensitivities um, come into play into the way we communicate and the way we recognize folks and the way uh, we give performance feedback that makes them more effective. And so it's about, I always say, it's about making a pact. We're going we're gonna to start with a pact as a team that what we say here is for the growth of everyone. And then some, sometimes it may land the right way, sometimes not because we're quite diverse, but we're always going to tell each other when something runs off the wrong way so that we can learn and, and, and grow as one. That sounds like something a marriage counselor would say. <laughs> <laughs> frankly are, are you suggesting i change jobs no no hey i'm hey i think a localization manager is perfectly suited i've said this before to become a counselor to become or to become a, a preschool teacher because you're just herding cats and Thank trying you. to make sense out of things trying to simplify concepts and trying to ultimately like our job literally and figuratively is to connect human beings, right? This is what we do. Yeah. When we translate something, we're helping helping facilitate communication between different cultures. And, you know, that's, that's what a marriage counselor does. <laughs> that's what um, so many other people do. Um, but yeah, it can get complicated. So Empathy is a muscle, right? I think it's something mm -hmm. that you can train, but in localization, especially in uh, multi- national teams etc you gotta you gotta work on you gotta train yeah. as but, quickly as possible but i like that if you can sit down and build that layer of trust over with your internal team and say look like as a manager i'm going to say things that are going to upset you you need to know and believe that that is never my intent. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. intent behind it is for the growth of the team and for your personal benefit. And, and isn't that the case with all, like, we talk about diversity a lot, but one thing I always think is, why is language and culture not, not mentioned often in diversity? Because it's complicated. You know, it's because it's, it's complicated, but yeah. it's, it's, a it's a form of diversity. And it's something that we should cultivate and nurture, but still watch out for, right? And be mindful of in the way we, we communicate. Embrace it and use it carefully. Yeah, and there's a strong, I mean, there's been in recent years, there's a lot more emphasis put on uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I always find that it's a shame that language and culture is not included more in that conversation and specifically yep. language because culture yep. and language are so closely intertwined right language is reflective yep. of culture and culture is reflective of language um there is what's the name of that actress uh that uh, does american family she's uh 
she's a Spanish-speaking actress. There is a very um, there is a very famous short video where she just shouts, "You don't know how smart I am in Spanish," but it's you know it's oh yeah yeah the Sofia Vergara. The, yeah, Colombian, it I is think. very yeah. true, right? Like you think. I love that clip. Like <laughs> in, in a in a company like ours, right? It's very hard to look at the top, like top executives, and see someone that's not English speaking, and that's why one of the other things that we, uh, you know, in your previous slides was we need to start working asynchronously. Why? Because someone whose first language is not the dominant language used in a company may feel way less uh, keen to raise their hand in a meeting and express a thought. Why? Because their cognitive load is, uh, you know, occupied by also thinking, oh my God, I'm, I worry that I'm not going to be able to express this thought properly. Maybe I'm going to be misunderstood or maybe someone's not going to understand what I say, or maybe it takes them longer to bring that feedback to the table. And then other people are like, yeah, let's, let's move on kind yep. of thing. So working asynchronously is super important for companies that are global. Right, decisions need to be taken not just by a group of people over a, a Zoom meeting, but maybe have decision documents. You yep. know, where like a proposal is written down, and someone can just, you know, everyone can join in in their own time and with their own time frames, taking time to read it and respond and curate their response and mm -hmm. edit it and proofread it if that's what they want to make sure. And it's way more equal yep. that way. I mean, it's something that is. Some some companies are starting to do it, but you don't see it as much. We're always saying, oh, we spend too many hours in meetings and you see companies cutting or putting like a... We should have a, a meeting to talk about how we're going to reduce the number of meetings. Yeah, you see yeah. initiatives like that. Yeah. Yeah. But this is important, especially with, with global teams. Well, and you segued us nicely into our next point from the article about um, working asynchronously. But I just want to bring that up too, is not, you know, different cult cultural differences means not everyone's going to engage the same way. And I find like at American companies, a lot of times what happens is, you know, we Americans, we're loud, we're arrogant, we're, we have opinions and we'll tell you about it. You know what I'm saying? And we're not afraid to speak up in meetings, uh, speaking in generality. I always have to give this caveat, speaking in generalities, of course, about everything that I'm about to say. Whereas different cultures, it's incredibly rude to, um, to yep. speak up in a meeting, especially if you're going to disagree. There's that power distance there. Like you, you never say no to a manager, those type of things. So A, that's not fair to those employees from different cultures because they're not being included. But I would argue more fairness, whatever, business is business, right? Speaking to the CEO. It's a missed opportunity. Thank you. That's the bigger thing. It's a missed opportunity because you're hiring these really smart people, you're paying them good money, and you're not getting the benefit of their insights, right? Yeah. So, so that's something that I think more CEOs need to be aware of, right? Because um, fairness is great, but you're losing value to the company if you're not yeah. including them. But, all right, going to um, learning, we need to learn to work asynchronously. So quoting from your article, to encourage good work-life balance, companies must encourage employees to work asynchronously. This means having fewer group and one-on-one -on -one meetings as finding a time that suits everybody across regions is often impossible. God, don't I know it. Yeah. Um, a few companies made the news recently for their decision to drastically cut down on meetings instead of moving their decision-making process to decision documents. And I, I can, I've, 
been in 3 a.m. meetings, midnight meetings. It's it's hard because when you have all time zones represented, somebody's going to have to stay up late or wake up early. Yeah. Right. And so a way to work asynchronously it would really help that. But I also wanted to bring up that I find so we talked earlier, remote managing remote teams and globally dispersed teams is hard. It takes effort. Right. I would say what's even harder is managing hybrid teams. And that's where you have part of your team in an office. Half of your team members are in the office and they're eating lunch together every day. And half of your team is working remotely because what happens frequently, if not actively managed, is that you kind of create a tiered, you know, a second class and a first class workers, whereas the remote workers aren't seen or treated as part of the team. So that can be really challenging. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think it goes back to culture. Now you can't, you know, there's no substitute for time together. Mm. And so, you know, you need to make sure that there, you create that space for moments of downtime together where everyone can participate. So if there's like cool team hours, right, making sure that once a week, for example, we have like a, a Friday slot around just after lunch where we we can it's optional attendance is optional and we talk about successes of the weeks like what are we proud of mm -hmm. and and maybe plans for the weekends like it's absolutely not a work meetings no one's performances measured or no one's being watched as in oh, let, let's see if they you know they're getting the job done and just to let our hair down and, and have a a, a genuine coffee chat the one that you would have at the coffee machine right um and everyone participates and if the folks that are in office you know i've got a couple of people that like to be in the office and they go like it and they want to have lunch together and build that one and maybe they you know they're gonna go and get get a drink after work it's fine you can't avoid that and you don't want to right it's the friendships is born out of the most incredible circumstances and by vicinity of course but it's how, you're right, it's not easy, but it's how do you transform this into a cohesive yep. and inclusive uh, bubble. And I used to, and we, we used to do this more at NIMSI, <clears throat> but we used to have these coffee hours, as you mentioned, where we just put two hours on the thing and it was join, don't join, whatever, right? It was just kind of, you can drop in. And a lot of times what it would do is we'd schedule a two hour coffee chat and I'd log in. I wouldn't schedule them. Like one of my, our old uh, marketing manager, Nika would have these all of the time and I'd just drop in and it's just like four or five people with their video cameras on working. Like we're all just sitting there mm -hmm. typing. Our, we're not even saying anything to each other. We're just kind of existing together as we're getting our work done. And every once in a while, someone would, you know, start some small talk or something. But I thought that was really powerful to just kind of build those relationships. It's not as good as the real thing, being in person, but eh, it was pretty good, I would say. Yeah, that's a good call. We try that too. And I think it's, it's important to see what works for the team. Yeah. Right, and what works for one doesn't work for another perhaps. And True. for us, it's, um, we found it's more those moments. We, you know, we also try and like on a quarterly basis have like a lunch together or like a tea and cake uh virtual of course yeah we do uh um 
Inga Inga Bonin um, from our growth team. She uh, she yeah. organizes a great Christmas party every year, and there's like activities. She structures it. There's activities. There's games. There's always freaking dancing. Um, so yeah, it, it it's fun. I I pretend to not like it, but secretly I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> So let's go uh, catch up with the chat here. Uh, lots of people saying hi in chat that I haven't missed yet. We have Richa. I know you're the LinkedIn user here. Deborah Jimena already said hi. Maria, um, Maxima, Gaia, Roberta um, says we are social creatures after all. We thrive on healthy and positive relationships. And don't we know that after COVID? If we didn't know that before COVID, we certainly know it now. It's it, it's more important now than others than than ever I would say, but I want to keeping an eye on the clock here. We've got two more points to get through. Um, we're talking about inclusion starts with hiring, and I want to pick your brain on this. Your article, you say we must be mindful of our current recruitment and hiring practices, and revise the entire process to ensure we are not inadvertently putting off or screening out candidates due to legacy processes that are built around outdated candidate personas that may have focused on a single culture of origin. And yeah. I know you have a lot more to say about this, but my two cents is just, just looking at the geography, like Qualtrics would have really missed out if they didn't hire you because of a geographical thing, right? And this is why I tell clients all the time who are trying to hire for a certain position is, look, if you want someone in the local office, that's fine. You do you, but just know you're not going to get the best of the best because you're recruiting from a very small talent pool when our industry operates yep. on a very large talent pool. And NIMSI, for example, we're 100% remote. We've got people everywhere. And we don't even have an office anymore. We shut down our office um, during COVID and haven't looked back. And what that allows us to do, it allows us to not care where we're hiring people from. It's just making sure that we're getting the best talent in in the world. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from from hiring perspective, like each company would have devised and I'm sure you did and NIMS as well, like they would have devised like a hiring uh, process made of what type of interviews one goes through, for what type of roles, how many interviews, and what level of people are they going to meet? Hey, and, you're uh, giving NIMSY too much um, credit. We don't have such a structure. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but thank you in, for that. <laughs> okay. In, 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 in companies, um, some of the companies I've, I've worked for, including Qualtrace, we have like a pretty standardized, uh, and I, you know, it's not a bad thing in, in South, but no, pretty no. standardized, a pretty structured. <laughs> Um, recruitment process. Now, that process, um, you know, one has to think, was it born, was it created when we were a company operating out of a single country, uh, looking at a very restricted talent pool, right, the people that could drive uh, to, to this uh, specific American office? And, you know, the content of those interviews itself, the panelists, um, the questions that we ask are they geared around our intention that could be a legacy decision to bring in a type x of person that may not you know inadvertently then when you scale those recruitment practices across locations may 
have the downside and, and you know unwanted effect of of screening off people that would be perfect you know we we've had it we've had it we've had um uh, someone failing our value based interview um, yeah well a, a lot of interviews are based on like is this person a good fit for our company culture and that statement in and of itself excludes like if your company right. culture is very American, just as an example, yeah. then that statement in and of itself tells me you're not going to be having a good experience or giving an, an equal opportunity to people that come from other cultures, right? Yeah. And Japanese culture is very different. Working culture is very different from America. You know, every culture, every country market has a different culture, right? So, but to play devil's advocate, what's wrong with wanting like-minded people? on the team? I think it's, you know, some traits, uh, you know, are fair that you may want to have in, in all of your recruits across the, across the world. But the way you get those traits can get translated into different ways of screening for them, mm. right? Different ways of phrasing a question or maybe mm. more or less aggressive, um, interview timelines right like a value-based interview of 30 minutes only works for someone who you know has a very high command of the language right. in which the interview takes place um can get their act together and, and utter a response you know using the language of the interview mm -hmm. <laughs> very very quickly otherwise you probably won't go through the script at all but also the way you're asking let's say that what you are screening for is resilience or transparency. Mm -hmm. Now, they may the, the way you ask about transparency may be very different depending on the market. If you don't ask it differently, someone can completely shut down and 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 give you an answer that has a red flag in the system, mm -hmm. and you know has a very very promising candidate uh, screened out and, and excluded, and that person would have enriched the culture would have changed the culture. What is company culture? There's, there's nothing wrong with wanting any, it's every company is entitled to it. Having a, a set of things, but they cannot, you shouldn't be more than three or four. And they, they should really be values that are transferable across cultures mm. and that are common to the cultures of the customers you're targeting because mm. your employees are just as important when it comes to naming the customers. If you if they're not the same, it's just not going to work. Yeah. yeah, you're making a lot of sense, Julia. You're making a lot of sense. I, I want to go to our last point here, talking about salaries. And yep. this is an interesting topic, and it's a conversation I've had with other people in the industry. But I'll, I'll read from your article first uh, to set the stage here. Uh, market benchmarking, researching and analyzing the salary data for specific job roles within the local market is still common practice for companies as they choose where to hire. Many organizations use job evaluation and grading systems to assign a value or level to each position based on factors such as skills, responsibilities, and experience. This allows for consistent salary structures across locations with adjustments made based upon local factors such as cost of living. Contingent factors market adjustments are still fairly common practice, but as work from home anywhere becomes mainstream, more employees will demand compensation based on the value they can bring to the organization, not based on where they live. And, you know, I don't, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a businessman. <laughs> I'm a, you know, a, I'm a capitalist at heart. And, but I also believe that people need to get paid what they're worth. Right. So I'm really conflicted about this when I think about it myself. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, for me, this is more of a statement of what I'm saying, right. Than what I would be advocating for. Like I'm aligned with you on the fact that people should be paid what they're worth, what they bring for what they bring to an organization. And I think, you know, when I think about my children, I think when they, when it's their time to work, that that's going to be common sense, common sense and common practice. That's, that's how, that's how it's going to work. We're not there yet and companies still make decisions, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, for the price of someone in Seattle, you could get four people in, you know, elsewhere. I say it all the time. It's why Nimsy doesn't employ anyone. I live in Seattle and we don't have, well, we have one. Um, But it just from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense for Nimsy, for example, to hire someone in San Francisco. Yeah. But it's also a legacy of the way people worked before, right? So in in office culture, you know, it would create these hubs of talent, right? So people that wanted to uh, land like good jobs in specific industries that they were interested in would uh, uh, relocate to Seattle, to London, yeah. to Dublin, so on and so forth. Now, as work, remote work, and globally dispersed work becomes more and more common, if not mainstream then these people may want to move somewhere else, right? And so they will demand higher salaries from where they're based, which is going to have a positive impact on on the salaries um, that people in uh, less fortunate locations uh, demand when when they get hired. It's just going to take some time to get there right now. Like even as as a hiring manager, right? You think you go, you have your FP&A putting together your people budget for the year and they're like this is a budget you know you could choose you can have four people but you need to hire them there or you can have one person and you can have them there and so it's a very hard trade-off even though you're like you know what has the poor guy done wrong in Seattle but you have to make a decision that works for you and so I think it's this is a bit I always fight for what I believe in this is a bit bigger than me to change so I do I am confident that little by little advocating for it will change it and putting our foot down as, as managers, but it's going to take another 20 years or so yeah. to get that. I, I would agree with you. I think we're, we're moving there as globalization just continues. And I would say this is something where I think it makes sense, at least for me personally, to hold like three different views on. One is like, here's how it is. Here's the reality of it. Like you can't fight the machine, right? The other view would be, here's the ideal. You know, if I got up on my soapbox and said, justice for all, here's what I would strive for. And like the third view would be like, and here's like an incremental pragmatic step that we can start taking, right? And I'm with you. I think this is going to be changing over the years. Um, I've already known, I was talking to a buddy the other day, very experienced localization professional moved from Seattle out, to the middle of nowhere and it was a big negotiation for him talking with his employer about like yes i'm going to move but can i please keep my seattle salary right because the first thing if i move from seattle to montana tomorrow you know I'm well still me <laughs> yeah right it's i'm still me i'm still adding the same amount of value 
right? But if I work for a company like Amazon or Microsoft, they're immediately going to cut my salary in half just because corporate mm-hmm. policy has different salary ranges. So we'll see. I think all it takes is a couple trendsetter companies out there mm-hmm. um, to start moving in this direction. And the other companies, in order to stay relevant, are going to have to. And I think it's already started because during COVID, people realized I'm living in San Francisco because I was going into my corporate job at Twitter every single day. And I'm paying all this money to um, work in San Francisco. And then COVID hit. And it's like, well, screw this. I'm moving to Utah. And I'm going to live like a king in Utah, right? And... So it's already happened. I think COVID was kind of the great accelerator in in that regards. But now people, you know, there is this pull to bring people back into the office, which is, I have mixed emotions about myself. I'm going to pull the ethical card here and say, it's also very hard to say, hey, like, it's still me, just fat, right? I'm just not going to be in Seattle, but I'm still going to be worth um, the same amount of money. Whilst knowing that another you employed by the same company um, in Kuala Lumpur is being paid half that money, right? And so, like, am I demanding, like, should I be demanding, given my cost of living is going to go down, should I be demanding that the difference is split, right? They reduce my salary, maybe not in half, but over 50% and up the salary of that guy in Kuala Lumpur. And it's, it's something that is, you know, uh, I guess we we don't know an, the answer for sure, and we oh, we know uh, the ethical in, in moments of our lives, yeah. Right. But it's 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 also hard to to make a decision depending on the reference you're, point. You're of course absolutely correct, but you got to remember you got, you got to put yourself in the mindset of a narcissistic American, right? <laughs> we don't think like that. <laughs> I've, I've spent I've spent a good. Uh, chunk of time in the last few years doing that i'm getting better <laughs> thinking like but, an american uh, <laughs> oh, don't spend too much I time there say. you'll become like us it's it's not good <laughs> i have to say i can wear that costume i think i was talking for a to while you. for a for a meeting right uh i or, think we were actually I, on an office hours one time and i think i actually told you i'm like you gotta think like an american walk in like you own the yeah, place you did, you did, you right did. uh and that was that was good that was actually game changing for me because I, I really struggled i really struggled like uh when i joined you know qualtrics is my first american adventure okay yeah that's and, right that's uh right. yeah when i joined i realized like all of my peers, uh, the other functional managers, they were in the US and uh, one would give like a monthly updates, like their updates sounded very buoyant and very confident and sort of very, um, very different from mine, right? I would go in and I would say, you know, it's, I think it's the way you brought up and the way school works. And like, you just go like, yeah, we've done a good job. The numbers look good, but there's more we can do. And I would just feel the disconnect. Right. Like I would I would see it in the reaction of the people. Mm-hmm. And that's also one of the challenges of globally, you know, global teams. Right. How do you you know, what's the benchmark if everyone is acting as if, you know, based on the uh, behaviors of a specific culture, then is that what leadership expects? Like, is that what top leadership and top execs expect people to be like in order to grow in their careers? And so I did. uh use your advice and so i can put on that dress 
meeting and, and deliver presentations that's a tad more american so and i just, think when you're done go one, take the off the dress over. take a cold shower <laughs> and feel better about yourself i'm so, so me <laughs> yes exactly well looking at the clock we are out of time today julia any closing thoughts before i start wrapping us up for the day it's just like we're all still learning right uh like if anyone has any uh thoughts or tips or advice uh like do reach out on, on LinkedIn or whatever. Like I'd love to uh, grab a chat and uh, and hear you out because I, for the nature of my role and uh, you know I've, uh, and, and where I'm based now, which is in Italy, I you know I will I will always have to do this if this is the type of jobs I want to be in. I will always manage remote teams and teams that are in different locations compared to where I'm at, and so. Yeah, thank you for any insights that the audience may have. And thank you for hearing me out. Mine's just a perspective, of course. Well, thank you for being here. And I will second that. If you guys are listening to this, go follow Julia on LinkedIn. She's a good follow on LinkedIn. And she's also, she has great stuff to say. She speaks at events and webinars and stuff like that. Are you going to be at Lokworld? I'm not. I'm not going to be at Lockworld. I'm going to be at an event um, in uh, London with Global App Testing, and I'm going to be. Oh, we're going to be there too. I think. Oh, I'm just going to. I'm going to see you there then. I'm really excited about that. And then I am at the EU Commission. I'm part of the Language Industry Expert Group of the EU Commission now. So we meet uh, two to three times a year, and my next trip is in November. Uh, at the Translate Europe Forum. So if anyone wants uh, to go to Brussels for the event, I'd love to see you there. I I told you guys, she speaks at events. Go follow her on LinkedIn so you can catch her where she's going. All right, I will wrap us up here. Ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed this episode of Nimsy Live, then join us next time by going to our LinkedIn page, checking the events tab, and seeing when our next event is. I appreciate my guest today, Julia Tardini. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everyone in our industry who fills out Nimsy surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so we can include you in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, everyone joining us live in chat today, and I look forward to next time. Cheers. Cheers.